At U.S. Bank, when we say we're in it with you, we mean it. Not just for the good stuff, the grand openings and celebrations, although those are pretty great, but for all the hard work it took to get there. The fine-tuning of goals, the managing of cash and workflows, and decision-making. We're in to help you through all of it. Because together, we're proving day in and day out that there is nothing as powerful as the power of us. Visit usbank.com to get started today. Equal housing lender. Member FDIC. Copyright 2024. U.S. Bank. Electricity. A big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. Other people want to make friends, just trying to make some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach. Call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jimmy Cho Kramer. We want a healthy market where there are lots of ways to make money. But you know something that is actually possible, not yet, to have too much of a good thing. You don't want a market where there are too many ways to make money. We aren't there yet. But after another good day where the Dow gained 238 points, the S&D advanced 0.74%, has that climb 0.95%, we are certainly headed in that direction. All right, so look, how is it possible that we could have too many ways to make money. When lots and lots of things are working, you end up in a situation where investors take down tons of debt because everything seems can't miss. And every move feels like a super cycle, a kiss of death word, super cycle, akin to nobody beats the Chiefs. And that's when you get overextended and things go bad. Again, I want to emphasize, if I see any of you, cl- if I see anyone, any clown say that I'm calling the top here, I will find you. And I have a special set of, we're not there yet. But you'll want to keep your eyes open for the signs over the next few months. So let me go over all the ways people are making money, right? We like that. And then tell you how historically they have run out of steam. Not one of these has run out of steam yet. I'm giving you a flag. First, there's the reopening trade, which is about people getting vaccinated and the crisis being put behind us. I still expect the vaccine glut in the second quarter. But by then, we'll be looking for arms to jab wherever those arms may be. And that's why we see relentless moves up in the restaurants, Darden, Fringes, and the weaker retailers, L Brands, Macy's, Foot Locker, Kohl's. As I've told you before, Disney and Boeing are my favorite reopening trades. I'm waiting for Boeing to announce some big orders. I think it's going to happen. No one is waiting for Disney Report. They're all buying it ahead of the quarter on Thursday because Disney's such an obvious winner when the world goes back to normal. Can you imagine what 2022 will look like when the movies and the parks are on fire and they also have Disney Plus on top of that? Oh, jeez. Okay, second theme that's working is housing. This is all about the de-urbanization of America spurred on by COVID-19. We'll go back to the cities eventually, but the hybrid workplace has arrived and it isn't going anywhere. You go to the office a couple days a week, Zoom the rest of, your, uh, rest of your time at home with your family. It's pretty great. Every home builder is booming, along with the rest of the housing food chain, toll, Lenart, you name it. Third theme, industrials. How can you not own some industrials with the world's markets rallying? Everywhere's rallying. Every industrial I follow is flying. Not too late to buy Honeywell or Lindy, the industrial gas company. We're going to hear from them later tonight. 
Fourth, energy. Despite all the electric vehicles in the way, short-term oil prices have been roaring. Remember, Trump was the drill baby drill president. Biden's not too fond of drilling. He wants renewables. But what happens when you tamp down on drilling? Oil gets more scarce. Price goes up. Long-term, I think the industry's in real trouble. You don't want to own a fossil fuel play through 2030. But for the moment, they're cleaning up. Fifteen banks. It's been a while since they've been good. When you get to the point where there's enough economic activity to push up long-term rates, which is kind of happening, while the Fed holds down short-term rates, you get a nice yield curve that swells the bank's bottom line. A rising tide does lift all boats, which is why I actually like Wells Fargo. A lot! Especially since it's the cheapest of the bunch. I think Charlie Sharp is going to fix that place. Sixteen individual stock picking by newly empowered home gamers. By you. We have a massive new group of investors, young, terrific, feels like a throwback to the early days of 401k, except the new generation is a lot more rigorous, knows how to research. These newbie investors do their own homework and often find ideas that could look like the next Tesla, the next Apple, the next Facebook. They love anything Elon Musk touches, including Bitcoin. Tesla just bought $1.5 billion and says they'll eventually accept it in lieu of cash. When I look at the chart of Bitcoin, it gives me vertigo. But as major companies like Tesla and PayPal agree to take it in the trade, you can absolutely own some as a means, a storehold of capital. The Merriman, my name for the Robin Hoodies and anyone else who's a new enthusiast, also stumbled on a bunch of overly shorted stocks like GameStop, then bought them aggressively to crush the hedge funds who got into greedy. I think the shorts were basically right about the fundamentals, but they didn't realize the trade had gotten too crowded. So they got steamrolled once it became clear there wasn't enough stock to go around. What well, was a huge win? as long as you rang the register. Remember I called him from my hospital bed, ripped out the catheter, gave the, the uh, good call. Three, the catheter thing is probably too much information. But at 300, told you to sell. Unfortunately, a lot of home gamers doubled down at that peak, and now they're getting burned. At least they can't blame me. The catheter hurt like, oh, get out. It's great that Reddit message boards can identify winners that Wall Street research is missing, as long as nobody's running a pump-and-dump scheme. As for all the craziness a week and a half ago, that's about the need for better training infrastructure. More on that later. Finally, the one that is very mystifying and I'm getting worried about. Number seven, the SPAC attack. Nearly every time one of these special purpose acquisition companies announces that it's buying a sexy startup, the stock explodes higher. We've seen a ton of big wins. We have one on tonight. Don't fight the SPACs. Just remember that the gains don't count until you ring some of the register. I'm not in favor of all. I want you to hang on. Take your basis out. Those are the seven heavenly ways to make money in this market right now. But they can turn into seven deadly sins. If you're not careful, the reopening trade, that's hostage to the pandemic. We could get a load of new cases, especially this new South African strain, more resistant to the vaccines. I think we'll be able to get COVID under control, but we've been wrong about that before. Plus, if the stimulus bill fails, the retailers, they're going to take a hit. Housing. As the economy improves and rates go higher, still a long way, long way away. The housing bull market will get hurt. That's inevitable. Could take years to become a problem. Could take a year. Theme three, the industrials. Look, these stocks only work if employment picks up and business quickly snaps back. If the recovery folders, they are insanely expensive on a price-to-earnings multiple basis. Energy. It sure looks good now, but that's because OPEC's being disciplined. Eventually, prices will get high enough that the Saudis will stop limiting production. And when that happens, oil producers will get hammered. Crude's at 58. Wouldn't surprise me if the Saudis open the tap at 60. Theme five, the banks. Oh, they're great as rates don't, you know, as rates kind of go higher, but not too high, because that puts real pressure downward on loan demand. Again, we're not there yet, but that's an inevitable part of the business cycle. Six, what happens to all these new stock pickers when they run out of good targets? 
There are only so many GameStops to go around applying for short squeeze. Without better clearing systems, a lot of Murray men could get hurt. Finally, the seventh and by far the most deadly sin. All these companies with no earnings that are being pitched on the basis of revenue projections, including the SPACs, many of these stocks are exciting. and They all seem to have a mission. But in recent months, we've seen more and more what I call celebrity SPACs. And the whole thing feels excessive. If you disagree with me, you're wrong. There will come a tipping point where we start getting glutted with low-quality SPACs, and the whole group collapses under its own weight. Again, we're not there yet. The bottom line, for now, we're in the clear. But you need to watch these seven themes like a hawk, because eventually they'll turn ugly. Might take months. Might take years. Either way, you don't want to stick around when this side of the page happens. I need calls. I need Hitesh in Texas. Hitesh. Hi, Jim. Uh, I wanted to know your view on Merck and Company, knowing recent changes on the leadership and their update on the outlook and the growing risk uh, dependency on the key Truda drug. Well, I'll tell you the problem with Merck. It's the same problem I have with uh, Bristol-Myers. Nobody wants these stocks right now. I happen to prefer Bristol. My Chapel Trust owns it. I talked extensively about it last week. But if you look at that chart, what that is is a chart of people saying the economy is going to open. I don't need a drug stock. and It doesn't matter how good Merck's doing. That's what's going to happen. Talal in New York. Talal. Jimmy Chill. Booyah. Booyah, my friend. What's up? You're the chillest, man. You're the, you're the best. I'm trying. You make, us go, you make us go whoop, whoop. So I wanted to ask you, this company just, uh, just announced their partnership with IBM. Great things. And, uh, and then some rumors about Facebook. And I don't know. And the lockup period is expiring really soon. And the earnings coming up. What do you think we should do? Well, I, I don't know about that, uh, the one that, that you rumored. I do know that the IBM deal was very solid over with the IBM uh, people, and it's very good to bring in artificial intelligence. IBM's a good partner. It shows, once again, it verifies Palantir. I happen to think that Palantir's good. I, I remember, though, it has gone up a lot, but it is what I call an enthusiast stock. Don't get mad at Twitter, people. An enthusiast stock has the ability to go up no matter what the quarter reports. Let's go to Herbert, my home state of New Jersey. Herbert. Hi, Jim. Booyah. Booyah, Herbert. Uh, thanks for sharing your experience and fi- uh, financial acumen. Thank you. With, with everyday people. That's my Give goal. Give me a current shortfall of semiconductors in the marketplace. Right. What is your forecast for Applied materials earnings. That's a fantastic company. on the 18th. Yeah, it's fantastic. I think they have a great number. Lamb Research had a great number. KLA 10 Core had a great number. These are fantastic companies. And when we have a chip shortage, we need every one of them. Josh, in my other home state, New York. Josh. Hey, Jim. Yeah. Jim, happy Monday. Happy oh, yes. market all-time highs. Yes, we should, you know, we should, we should be happy about that. It means more people making money, and that's our goal. How can I help? All right. So I wanted to get your take on a group of underperformers and one company in particular. Uh, the largest defense contractor by revenue, Lockheed Martin, has been drifting lower over the past six months. They've had their share of supply chain issues during the pandemic, but with a promising space program and record backlog, is now the time to back up the truck. Um, well, remember, under the Democrats, defense does very well. People don't think it does, but when we see the actual resolutions, I think we're going to be saying, wow, what, what was I doing? Not buying Lockheed Martin, run by the fantastic Jim Takelet, who I expect to be on air as soon as he reports, as he did when he was the unbelievable architect of the expansion of American Tower. 
right, I know it sounds crazy, but there are such things as making... I don't want to say too much of a good thing because that's too much of a cliche. But I'm saying this is all working. But you know what? Now you've seen the seven heavenly ways to make money. They can turn into the seven deadly sins if we aren't careful. All right? You need to protect yourself. Oh, man, buddy, tonight, rumors are swirling about an Apple car. But two former Apple engineers at the company may already have a self-driving solution that's the best in the business. Don't miss my sit-down with Ava to talk about the LiDAR space. Then Veru stock is skyrocketing today, rising 28% on amazing phase two data, not phase three. What does it mean for the fight against people who are dying of COVID in the hospital? I'm talking with the CEO. And an under-the-radar way to play one of the hottest trends in this market. I'm sitting down with the CEO of a wonderful company called Lindy. Stay with me. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. I am looking for a Dr. Kramer education here. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Mr. Kramer, it is an honor. I've been watching your show for about 10 years. Long-time, first-time, love your show, and it's time to write another book, Jimmy. I want to give a big shout-out to my dad who turned me on to you long ago. My dad turned me on to your show. Thank you for all you do. Thank you so much for everything you do. To be a grand investor, you need to break the Wall Street code. And I'm here to help. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We keep seeing more and more of these incredibly exciting high-tech auto startups merging with special-purpose acquisition companies, the attack of the SPACs, I call it. And I want a mission to highlight the ones with the most potential. Take Ava. That's a semiconductor company founded by a pair of former Apple engineers that developed what they call the first 4D LiDAR on a chip. LiDAR is like radar sonar, except it uses lasers, and it's essential for autonomous driving. The company's also found applications in consumer electronics, consumer health, industrial robotics, security, reinvention of cities. At the beginning of November, we learned that Ava's coming public via a merger with a SPAC called Interprivate Acquisition Corp. That's IPV for your home gamers. And since then, oh man, the stock's been on a tear. 
Could it have more room to run like the other LiDAR players? Is it better than the other LiDAR players? Let's take a closer look with Sarush Salehian. He is the co-founder and CEO of AMA to learn more about his technology and what it means for the industry. Mr. Salehian, welcome to Man Money. Thanks, Jim. First, uh, thanks for having me. Big fan of the show and uh, appreciate what you've been doing for the viewers out there. Oh, thank you. Well, I'm going to do the same. I watched a video of yours, of an Audi, an Audi with the boxes on top. And I said, I, I just want it. I, I, I think your technology is amazing. It's not like the other guys. The other guys are bouncing off each other. The other guys can't see. The other guys are bad in black ice. 200 yards out, they're blind. How is your system able to do all these things? Yeah, so, so first, uh, Jim, maybe give you a little bit of background, just how you know, the landscape of LiDAR works. So first of all, LiDAR in general is not actually new technology. And uh, what you know about LiDAR generally and, and all the LiDARs that are out there today are all really based in what's called 3D LiDAR, right? 3D LiDAR, the way it works is it measures distance of objects, how far things are. And it does it by actually sending higher power pulses of light, waiting for it to come back, and then that tells you how far things are. Uh, this technology has matured over the years, but also has reached certain limitations when you talk about achieving high performance at low cost, which we really believe is the holy grail for perception technology in general. So we actually see and believe that you know, the industry is heading from 3D LiDAR more towards something that's a bit different, what we call 4D LiDAR. And 4D LiDAR, what it is, it actually has an additional capability besides measuring distance to actually measure velocity. We do it for every single pixel, kind of like a radar, but, but an optical wave and very high resolution. We do this by sending what we call a low power continuous beam and, and look at the, the frequency of the light with, with, with the concept of frequency modulated continuous wave or FMCW to measure the velocity for every single pixel. Do it in a way that's high performance, so long ranges, more than 300 meter of range capability, which is really crucial for, for autonomous driving applications. And, and second is actually that um, you know, all three LIDARs, because they measure power, they also have some sensitivity when it comes to interference. So when you right. talk about scale, it's important that this interference does not happen. And so, you know, for us, our technology actually has the ability to be completely free from interference um, from other sources of LIDARs, other LIDARs and other cars, or, or, or the sun itself. Well, what, uh, what and I, we also think that's important. What I'm confused about is when I read, and I read in, in depth about what you're doing, why would anyone, the other guys are just inferior. They don't have that fourth dimension. So what car company in its right mind would use the cheaper? Well, I don't even know. You can tell me whether you can make this thing at scale, probably end up being cheaper. But what car company? I mean, you've got the biggest car company in the world involved with you. You've got a major manufacturer uh, that does parts for companies involved with you. Why would any? What's the, give me the case for the other guy, if you can, because I can't think of it. I, I've seen it, and I've been <laughs> in it, and I don't want to go back in it. <laughs> so... Look, the, the reality is our technology is on the way to development and coming into production by 2024 timeframe. We see now in, in the interim, you know, stopgap programs where you have kind of pilot programs, not super high volumes or scale, where 3D LiDAR actually is in play. But with, you know, all the OEMs and, and the customers that we engage with, it's becoming more and more clear that that end state, the future of, of perception and LiDAR sensing is really moving from that 3D towards that 4D. And we, you know, we have always believed that, and and, it, and you know, we're seeing more and more that realization now in the industry. 
And that's that's something that I think we're going to start seeing more and more as we approach also that 24, 25 time frame where our technology is going to ramp up into, into right. well, One last question. It involves a company that you work for, and I understand the rules. It, it's something that other companies are run afoul when they actually talk about it. But you did work at Apple. Uh, and I have to believe that a company like Apple, which wants the best customer satisfaction and the greatest product, has to be considering a 4D rather than a 3D. Look, uh, Jim, first of all, I, I can talk about, you know, the work that I have done at Apple before or any, any customer engagements that we have today. I can tell you, uh, you know, obviously for a company like Apple, where the focus has always been, you know, the, the, there is no secret there, uh, strength and foundation in providing highest technology, highest quality, and, and really focus on, on high performance. And we have always believed that. We believe that you know, when you when you look at technology capability, you want to be able to hit high performance, high scalability, but also low cost. And a 40 lighter on a chip, you know, because we've been able to actually integrate this technology also at, at a chip level, which is silicon photonics based, it, it shrinks all that stuff down onto a tiny chip platform, which provides the capability to be really leveraging this, the advantages of, of silicon technology. You know, size, weight, power, cost, all that. So I think a company obviously uh, that is focused on on high quality and technology. Um, you know, it, it wouldn't be surprised me if, if that becomes also a, a really interesting technology in general for right. for uh, such a company. Right, well, look, I'm so thrilled to have you on the show. The more I read about it, the more I said, I can't believe I have this guy. I mean, because we've seen, I've been to three lidar plants, and they all fail. Okay, there are just too many variables. And there's black ice and they can't see her. The pedestrian, they hit the pedestrian for heaven's sake. And the model, you're obviously not doing that. That's Sarus Sele, I'm sorry, Seleon of Ava. Wow, what a great story. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. Stay with me. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Coming up, this biotech player has spent decades fighting cancer. After a big move today, could their pipeline be a good fit for your portfolio? Kramer's got the CEO next. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Hi, I'm Nick. I'm getting married today. I'm also a firefighter and first responder. When you move over and slow down, you're making sure I can make it to my ceremony to start the next chapter of my life. When you see flashing lights, remember, they're not just roadside workers. Thank you for moving over and slowing down. Everybody's focused on COVID vaccines, but let's not forget about potential treatments. A little development stage biotech company called Veru, V-E-R-U, saw its stock soar 28% today off some really terrific COVID data. Here's a company that's been working on drugs for breast and prostate cancer. We checked in with them a couple of months ago after their stock tripled in the wake of some tremendous phase two clinical trial data on their lead breast cancer therapy. The news took the stock from three and change to just under 10. 
Today, we got the next leg hard. See, early this year, Veru started studying one of their cancer drugs as a treatment for acute respiratory distress caused by a severe COVID. Today, we got phase two results uh, compared to the placebo. This is astonishing. This drug showed an 82% reduction in patient mortality. Apparently, it attacks the virus as both an antiviral and an anti-inflammatory. Very promising. Though we might not get it. We got to get this phase three results. And and they won't probably come to the fourth quarter. So let's take a closer look with Dr. Mitchell Steiner, who's the chairman, president, and CEO of Veru, to get a better sense of the data and what it means for his business and the world. Dr. Steiner, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you. Thank you for having me again. I appreciate it. All right, Dr. Steiner, I know your company is an oncology company. I've known it pretty much from day one. So when I understood that you had something that's a COVID-19 treatment, I was thinking, is this just some sort of wonder drug you have? Because right now, the treatment for, you should tell us, acute respiratory disease distress syndrome is like nothing. Yeah. So you have to understand that what happened to is we were, you know, at the time when COVID was hitting eight, eight months ago, uh, it became clear to us that we knew from the very beginning that one of our cancer drugs, Vera 111, had the ability to be, as you mentioned, an anti-inflammatory and an antiviral. And the reason it does that, it does the same thing in cancer, is that it, it breaks down the transportation system within the cell. As you know, viruses hijack uh, cells to make more viruses, and it does that by going down that highway system like a car and goes in and comes back out and puts out a bunch of virus. But guess what? Inflammation does the same thing. What it does is those normal cells, those inflammation cells, they take bags of cytokines, that stuff that causes mm-hmm. that stress syndrome, respiratory distress syndrome, and dumps it out. Well, how does it do that? It's got to go through that same highway system to get on the outside of the cell and dump it out. So when it dumps it, so when you take a drug like Vera 111 that disrupts the highway system, breaks it up, then virus can't get in and, and inflammatory stuff can't get out. And so we thought maybe that would make sense for us to go after COVID-19. And we kept it low key because even though the preclinical work, the, the work in um, you know, looking at an antivirus right, made right. sense, and looking at the inflammatory response, we actually looked preclinically to see if we had an effect on that. We did. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's what happens in humans. And we went right into the lion's den. We said the way to show this is to take patients that are ill uh, with severe COVID-19. With patients who have been dying, basically, right? I mean, this is the That's end right. of the line for a lot ventilator. of Absolutely. Some are on the ventilator. They're on oxygen. They're what called WHO5 severity, which is... A, Know, which is very, very high, and they're on oxygen, they're in the hospital. And, uh, and, and we were able to you know, show some really hard endpoints. So for example, a hard endpoint is death. And so we showed a reduction in death of 30% uh, in, uh, excuse me, reduction in death from 30% in the placebo arm to 5.3% in the treatment arm. So that's, as you mentioned, that's a reduction. Well, that, I mean, right now we had a record number of deaths, even though we had the case going down with record number of deaths, the acute respiratory distress syndrome is the end of the line. And the current, the current standard of care, doctor, I was shocked, is really no good. You know, there are options, but there, you know, the options are starting to fool us a little bit. So, for example, we're concerned about the COVID-19 mutants that are coming out. And convalescent plasma just got you know, downgraded by the FDA. And uh, we're worried that the vaccines may not cover all the mutants. You know, in our situation, if you go after the highway, it doesn't care if it's a blue car, red car, a truck. If you block, block the highway, those mutants can get blocked as well. But you're absolutely right. We're very nervous. Dexamethasone, remdesivir are the standard of care. We worked on top of the standard of care. The numbers I gave you are on top of standard That's of care. That's incredible. 
At the same time, uh, you went to BARDA. I mean, you have an expedited meeting with the FDA, discuss phase three trial. I understand you're very cautious in a conservative company, which we like. At the same time, if people are dying, doctor, why are we waiting three, four months? I don't get that. Well, you know, we're going to meet with the FDA and, and, you know, the FDA, I'm not, you know, the FDA has to decide what the FDA wants to do. But the, you know, the, the conservative approach would be to replicate what we found in phase two. And, uh, and, and it doesn't have to be in lots and lots of patients, doesn't have to take lots and lots of time. We think if we can get started in April and be done by year end, that's record time. And, uh, and give everybody the comfort that we have something here that's got the robustness that will be required to go after patients that are the sickest and, you know, and try to you know, stave off death and respiratory failure. Well, you also, just so people know, you have sold a business that I thought was a good business, but it's being used to fund drug development. You've got uh, yes. Barter discussing potential funding. So it's not like tomorrow you're going to issue 10 million shares. No. You don't have to. We have the resources. I mean, we're very, very fortunate. We have a base business that makes money. And uh, at first, I'll be honest with you, Jim, we were nervous in the sense that we, you know, we, we didn't want people to think that we were just going to, quote, run out of money. And so uh, we were being very, very clear that we're not running out of money, that we have the resources to do this. Uh, but, but we were focused on our cancer development, our cancer drugs, right. as you mentioned. But we feel duty bound. I mean, if you, if you know your drug potentially has the activity, everybody's doing this. Everybody's trying. Right. We're just fortunate in phase two, it came out the way it did. And hopefully in phase three, we'll replicate that. And, and we're in the middle of a pinch. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Doesn't feel like it's going to go away anytime soon. The Spanish flu took three years. And to worry about the mutants. So we feel, uh, you know, duty bound right. to, to move forward, spend our money. We have enough money that's not going to affect the rest of the company. But, it, I, you know, we need, we need to do this. Well, look, doctor, I'm, I'm thrilled that you're doing it. Uh, this is when we see why people still die. It's usually because of something like this on the ventilator, not working, the current system of care, no good. I wish you the best of luck, and I hope the FDA Thank grants you. you expedited because you're saving people's lives. Dr. Mitchell Steiner, Chairman, President, and CEO of Veru, up 28% today. I think that makes sense. Great to see you, sir. Thank you. Thank you for having me again. Small cap, speculative, but this is pretty amazing if it goes through phase three. We have money's back up to the As the global shift to renewable energy accelerates, one company is on a mission to fuel the green transition. Can its stock deliver sustainable gains for investors? Or is it running out of gas? Kramer clears the air with the CEO just ahead. We've seen some huge moves in the green energy space, especially the red-hot electric vehicle and hydrogen fuel cell place, which I think will be great for trucks. But those aren't exactly sleep-at-night stocks. What if you want a safe way to play the hydrogen renaissance and much more? Easy. That's Lindy. That's the world's largest industrial gas distributor. Here's a company with a real business that's also got a terrific hydrogen kicker. That's how I look at it. In the last few weeks, Lindy's announced some major hydrogen projects. They're building the world's largest electrolyzer plant in Germany, and they've got a new partnership to bring liquid hydrogen infrastructure to South Korea, which is committed to green hydrogen. Could have some nice upside. But at the end of the day, Lindy's the leading industrial player in a major growth business called Industrial Gas. And that business is thriving right now. They just put an excellent beat and raise quarter last Friday, right on the heels of announcing a 10% dividend boost and a $5 billion buyback. Plus, while the stock's been a long-term outperformer, it's down 6% from its highs last month, so you got a real shot. 
So let's check in with Steve Angel. He's the CEO of Linity to get a better read on the quarter and where his company's headed after that amazing number. Mr. Angel, welcome back to Made Money. Glad to be here, Jim. Good to see you again. Steve, it's always incredible to me. Wherever I go, it's you. I want carbon capture by Exxon. Well, Lindy's going to have to help. I want all these rocket SPACs to do well. Well, that is Lindy. I want these shortage in semiconductors to be cured. That's Lindy. And yet, those aren't even big businesses for you. You have got a mosaic of business the likes of which I've never seen, sir. Thank you, Jim. Uh, You could say we have our tentacles in everything, all the growth markets. How is that possible that the major ones are healthcare, food and beverage, chemicals and refining, metals? This would indicate to me that it's the reason why you don't have a lot of down years. Well, I mean, we've we've always said our business is resilient, and uh, we thought last year would be a good time to prove that. There are just growth opportunities in all these market spaces. In healthcare, we see growth opportunities. You know, you said something about uh, uh, hydrogen. You know, hydrogen is used for to launch commercial uh, space shuttles. Um, hydrogen is used to make biofuels. Hydrogen is used in fork trucks. Uh, we make dry ice to preserve vaccines. So there are a lot of applications that we can we find our way into, and that helps give us good resilience. I mean, obviously, healthcare, electronics, uh, food and beverage—all those markets were quite stable uh, throughout uh, 2020. And they will be this year as well. And then we've kind of got this extra kicker called clean energy. But again, we have our tentacles in lots of little growth markets around the world. Well, let's talk about one that is very important, your battle against COVID. You're there. We are there, uh, Jim. And, you know, we have a a respiratory home care business in the United States that treats about 1.6 million patients. And that was before COVID. And then, of course, COVID began, uh, unfortunately, in in March of this year in the United States. And we developed COVID protocols working with the hospitals and working with Medicare to be able to relieve the burden from the hospitals, because obviously that's been a problem. And uh, unfortunately, we're up to about 100,000 patients, uh, and it it goes up every day. So, you know, we ramped up healthcare capabilities all over the world, but in a place like the United States, uh, we increased our capacity to provide oxygen to the hospitals. But in addition to that, we developed these protocols that take these patients out of the hospital as quickly as we could into the home and care for them there. All right, now you know carbon dioxide better than everybody. We have a big carbon dioxide problem when we drill, when we find oil and gas. Can you help those companies? Well, certainly. Uh, We have these technologies called carbon capture. It's something that we've been involved with for some time. And you could apply this to a power plant. You could apply this to a steam methane reformer. You can apply it to a cement plant. We have various carbon capture technologies, depending on whether it's called post-combustion or pre-combustion. But we can capture the carbon. And, you know, interesting enough, we are in the CO2 business from a commercial standpoint. So we can use that CO2 I talked about to make dry ice. Uh, But you can use CO2 for uh, food freezing as well. Uh, It's used to cure cement. Uh, It's used for uh, carbon uh, to provide carbonation for beverages. There's all kinds of uses for CO2 in and of itself. But of course, you know, the big question is how do you take the CO2 and you sequester it? So we have the ability to do that as well. 
Well, finally, uh, you have taught me that, that green hydrogen, you got to be very careful, might be best for forklifts now, could be for long haul trucks, but it's still too expensive. But then you told me that there is a path. And then when I read about countries that are deeply committed, hopefully the United States might be, you get a situation where the path is, is frankly a, a, a glide path because governments think this is so important. Yes. And I think that's an excellent point. You know, we thought from the beginning that really three things need to be in place uh, for green hydrogen to move forward, to develop. Uh, number one, you need a regulatory framework. And, and when I say that, I'm talking about the incentives, the funding, the funding mechanisms, but you also need penalties. You need a price on CO2, you need mandates. And we're seeing countries uh, in Europe do that. We're seeing countries in Asia do that, like South Korea and Japan. So they've developed very strong regulatory frameworks that I'll say have teeth in them. Okay. Then after that, you need to bring the cost of hydrogen down. And to do that, from a green hydrogen standpoint, you need to bring the, the cost of renewable power down. Then you need to bring the cost of electrolytic hydrogen down. This is something we've seen take place before uh, with, with respect to solar power, to wind power. You can make that happen. And so we're a bit in the early days of that. We have plans uh, in place, product plans to bring those costs down. We're working in that direction. Uh, and, and you mentioned the U.S. The U.S. does not have a regulatory framework today, not, not and that's yet. something that needs to take place. Not yet, but I think you're going to lead us to it. Uh, Steve, you've done a remarkable job. I'm proud to have you on the show. Your company is the best at what it does. I've seen the quarters, by the way, the other companies in your business. They are nowhere near yours. Congratulations for all the stuff you're doing for shareholders. And you're everywhere. And I think that's a good place to be. Steve Angels, the CEO of Lindy. Great to see you again, sir. Thank you, Jim. This was some quarter. And you heard what they're involved in. They're everywhere. You, you can't see it because it's gas. They have money's back here for the break. It is time! It's time for the light round! Let's talk about first one of those hymns. Talk to you about And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski dad! Now the light round comes over. I'm start with Robert in New York. Robert! Uh, yes, hello, Jim. Uh, thank you for taking my call. I just want to thank you and Dr. Lisa Sue for helping me uh, pay off my house or my car. Yes! I did what you in September. I made 189%. In yes. two years, I paid up my house. I put the money in the bank for the taxes, and I still have plenty left of AMD. I see today they had a breakout. Did you catch that breakout when it's something at 4% today? And you know, just because she's buying Xilinx, that's going to end up being a great deal. Why? Because she's a manufacturer and an engineer and the toughest person in the business by AMD. Daniel, New Jersey. Daniel. Booyah, Jim. Always an honor to speak to you. Hope you're feeling better. Um, Doing okay. Thank you for asking. Thank you for asking. <clears throat> Listen, um, I'm a new investor, and uh, I want to get into the uh, get some exposure in industrials. What do you think of Jacobs Engineering, Ticker Simple J? I think in that business, they're the best. I have never really liked the uh, companies that are involved, frankly, with construction because it's ver or, uh, it's very hard business. But if you had to navigate it, it would be Jacobs. Don't forget Vulcan Materials and Martin Marietta Materials, because those are both very good companies. I need to go to Mark in Florida. Mark. Hi, Jim. I hope you're feeling all better. I'm trying. Thank you for, thank you for asking. It, it's been a bit of a struggle. I'm not going to say no to that. It was a little bit bigger than I thought, but I am back. What's going on? 
Well, briefly before I get to my question, I have to thank you for recommending Affirm Holdings. Oh, now, yeah, Max is real. I've known Max for about seven years. He's real. Max Lepton, the guy who runs it. Uh, my question is about Dicom Industries, which I bought about seven weeks ago. The stock is currently up about 23% since I bought it. But over the weekend, there were some sharp downgrades to the stock, and I can't find any reason why. Um, should I sell and take my profits? Oh, no, no. Look, this- I think Dicom's terrific. Look, this is a construction engineering company for telecom, and I think that that's pretty darn good. Now, I will say um, it's had a big run, but there's plenty of, of, of business for them, and that's what matters. Their end markets are very, very strong. How about Carol in New York? Carol. Oh, hi, Jim. Wonderful to have you back. Well, and thank you. Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, Just one quick thing before my stock. Uh, My family can't wait to resume birthdays at Longshoreman, so we hope you're back soon. It will be back. And uh, Barcy Miguel, Sanco de Mayo. That's my plan. What's up? Great. Okay, so I have a position in a company that does home building and land development. It had a big run during the pandemic until uh, November when it started falling steadily. And about a week ago... After a secondary offering announcement, it had a very big drop. Um, so in the club, I learned to be patient, and that was my plan for this right, one. Right, that's what we want. Right. So even though it's only been a short time in this turnaround and certainly hasn't taxed my discipline, I do wonder, given the sharp reversal, if something's changed fundamentally that would suggest it's and time the stock to move on. So it's green brick. It's green brick. Everybody had a gigantic December in the home business. And they did not have a gigantic December. Toll Brothers, Toll Brothers had a remarkable December. Lenar, Horton had a remarkable They are all better than yours. And I have to call it straight because you called it straight with me. And I really appreciate the kind comments. Let's go to, oh, Dave in Illinois. Dave! Dr. Kramer, with all due respect, and you know I love you, but would it be asking too much to break the piggy bank and repair your unsightly machete-wielding plexiglass divot? We are. We're going to do that. Dave said to do it. Regina Gilgan, can we do it? All right, it's the lived-in look, Dave. I don't know. I lived in my home last week. That was a real downer. What's up? Jim, you may recall, I follow the lunar calendar, now leaving the year of the rat, appropriately so, and soon to enter the year of the ox. Having said that, I think that Alibaba has one way ahead as headwinds from possible U.S. investment bans have evaporated and Ant Financial comes closer to an agreement with the Chinese government. Once again, Dave is incredibly prescient. I went over my bullpen for ActionLearnsPlus.com at Chapel Trust. We paired it to about 10 names. And at the top, yes, we put Baba. Why? Because exactly what Dave said. They've gotten through their problems with the government and now I think they're free to make money. We just want it to come down a little bit because remember, when David... Faber found Jack Ma, and he did. Jack Ma was missing. David found him his house. The stock was around 212. It's up to 260, David. Uh, we needed the stock to come down 20, 30 points, and then we will pull the trigger. I need to go to Zach in Pennsylvania. Zach. Hey, Jim. Thank you so much for everything that you do. We're just getting ready for spring training. How are you? Oh, man. I like our lineup. What's going on with you? Not much, man. I'm just getting ready for. Obviously, spring training, getting excited about the Phillies. I like that. But I have a question on a stock here. They just announced a three-way split. I've had them for a while. I want to know, should I buy before the split? My stock is Sherwin-Williams. Splits don't matter. They create no revenue. What does matter is that Sherwin-Williams had a beautiful call. It's deeply in part of the housing situation. I think it was an extraordinary quarter, and you should hold on to it. And that's a win. 
And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, how can regulators help level the playing field in a modern market filled with home gamers and robo-advisors? Kramer makes sense of the fallout from the Robinhood revolution. Next. want from the regulators in the wake of the Robin Hood revolution and the 18th Brumaire of Wall Street bets on Reddit? First, I'm going to take these down. We want an awareness that something big has happened that caught most of us by surprise. Millions of new investors have discovered the stock market and they want a chance to profit from it freely and fairly, and I agree with it. In just a few years, 17 million people have signed up for Robin, chiefly for the commission-free trading, but also because they got a very good app. Oh, that's terrific. We want that to continue. Robin has been an equalizing force in Wall Street, and it's gotten ahead of the equalizing forces in Washington, which tend to lag. That said, I am really optimistic that Gary Gensler, new head of the SEC, will work quickly to get our leaders on board with the idea of making the market safe for individual investors or safer, especially the younger ones. But if I'm so positive, how the heck have we gotten to the point where Robin is now vilified for supposedly screwing over their users? What went wrong? Right, Robin and the other commission-free brokers are taking a lot of flack for preventing their users from buying meme stocks a week and a half ago when the game stops and AMCs were exploding higher. There are a lot of conspiracy theories about why this happened, but the simple truth is that the systems we use execute trades, well, it's ridiculously antiquated. It's more like a checking account clearing option than something quick and efficient, like a modern-day credit card business. At the most taxing moments two weeks ago, I think it might have been difficult for the people at Robin to even know who had to advance capital and, and didn't have the money forcing them to make up the difference. If a client from Schwab bought something and that security came from Robinhood, Robinhood can't default the same way that its client can. The firm has to make good, not the account. So there were extreme funding pressures. If the infrastructure weren't so antediluvian, then they would never prevent people from buying these stocks. Right now we have a system where most stock trades, get this, are only cleared by the second business day. I mean, isn't that preposterous? This is 2021, for heaven's sake. It should be the second business second. But that's not the rule. Those rules need to change, or we'll never be able to prevent what happened 10 days ago from happening again. It's both a regulatory issue and a technology issue. And both of these problems can be fixed immediately with some swift action from Washington, maybe with the help of Secretary Yellen. Second, we need the regulators to be mission-driven when it comes to leveling the playing field, rather than being witch-hunt-driven. Everybody hates hedge funds. Hey, unless you work at one of them or you're part of some adjacent business. Nobody likes a short seller if that short seller is betting against you. But the shorts create better price discovery and more liquidity, which actually does matter. It means deeper markets. We want that. I do want regulators to be more proactive about flagging weirdo situations like GameStop, where the shorts have sold more shares than actually trade. I mean, come on. That's allowed the, that allowed the bull raid to happen. If the regulators really want to do their job, they should impose stricter controls on margin the ability to borrow money to trade stocks so that people can't hurt themselves. Right now, the Fed handles it. That's not right. Uh, you need someone better, the Treasury Secretary, or at least the Fed, to understand that they have to be able to raise margin when they think it's right. Force the brokers to explain the risk. And while they're at it, as much as I love options, I was once among the largest option traders on Wall Street. They're a high-risk way to make money, and seeing all this new interest from first-time investors does make me feel nervous. I think the risks aren't widely understood. We all have the right to lose money by making dumb trades. But let's at least make sure people know exactly how these instruments can magnify their losses. Magnify. Make the risk better. Finally, no paternalism. These new investors are a whole incredibly resource and research-oriented group. They're much better than you think, people. They know how to make money. 
And they know how to find individual stocks like Tesla and Amazon and Apple. They're sick and tired of being told to park all their money in index funds like they're idiots. These days, more than half the money in the market is indexed. Everybody's got that message, okay? I have, you have. They've also seen the gains individual stocks can produce. And whenever some expert tries to make it sound like those gains were impossible to get, I think they look totally clueless. That's who's got it wrong. But at the same time, we need more trust. Robinhood must win that trust back to keep attracting new people, which is exactly what we all want. Shareholder democracy, people, it is not enough. That has to be fair and open shareholder democracy based on trust, not the best app, and certainly not the commodity of commission-free trading. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise I'll try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. Hi, I'm Nick. I'm getting married today. I'm also a firefighter and first responder. When you move over and slow down, you're making sure I can make it to my ceremony to start the next chapter of my life. When you see flashing lights, remember, they're not just roadside workers. Thank you for moving over and slowing down. 